from New York City. A podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Crime Havoc Company. Hello, and welcome to the Cry Havoc Podcast. Today around the table we have... Carrie Flanagan, I'm an actor. Tim Davis, I'm an actor and a writer. Jenny Curlin, I'm an actor. Jen Reichert, I'm a writer. And Kit Lavoy, I'm a writer and a director. Today we have a special episode of the Cry Havoc podcast uh, that's tying into an event that we had uh, earlier this week to thank a number of people who uh, have done uh, very generous and kind things for our company. One of the people that we uh, honored as a mentor to the company is Gene Lasco, who is a, a wonderful teacher who is a graduate school teacher to uh, quite a number of us uh, who are members of the company, including myself and Tim and Kerry. And we were celebrating the influence that he's had on the company. Uh, one of the things that uh, in uh, preparing to honor him, uh, I dug out my notebook from my first class with him. He was a acting and directing teacher and uh, it was my class, my first directing class with him. And so what we wanted to do to celebrate him in part is to go through the notebook and some of the things that he said that really became the seeds for the way that we uh, as individual artists but also as a company approach our work and uh, talk about how that early influence really evolved into the philosophy and practice that we all have. So to start off, this was my first note that I had from my first class with Gene. It said, uh, share something special of yourself with your audience, just like you would expect your actors to share something special about themselves. What speaks to you about the play? What do you understand that the audience doesn't? And how can you share with them the things that you know? I know that that's something that's directed at uh, directors, and you guys are, are primarily actors and playwrights, but uh, does that ring any uh, special bells for you? I, I know it does for me. Well, sure, because it, as an actor, what you're looking for is the thing that will energize you and that you can make that play or that character in the world in which those things happen specific to you. And so you're, if, if you can find a way to make, to connect something in your own personal life that drives you and that is important to you and, and give that over to the character and to the world, it, it's going to provide you with a, I think, unique perspective on that character and, and how to play that character. And it will give you a, 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 an almost simpler understanding of how to attack that play. Years ago, I was lucky enough, I, I played Hamlet in a production that was directed by Greg Henry, who's now the, uh, the national chair at the, uh, the Kennedy Center. And for whatever reason, uh, and, and I don't know Greg's personal history, but uh, the relationship between Hamlet and the father was very important. And he staged at the end of the play that old Hamlet, was his ghost was there at the final tableau of the play. And it clarified that Hamlet had done these things for his father. And it allowed Greg to simplify the play down to vengeance in service of his father, that that was Hamlet's journey and that's what the play was about. And, and that was a result of what, whatever Greg's relationship with his father or his father figure was. And that allowed him a really simple, clear through line in which then he had a very, I think, strong, specific mooring in the play. And I think it allowed then, you know, all of his choices and therefore all of our choices as the actors to be very to be very clear and direct and energized because there were things we understood, there were things that we cared about, and there were things that we could get behind. Yeah, I would think that, you know, with a director it's important to have that hook into the play just the same as there's a hook into a character because it's their job to make it cohesive and to, to direct the actors, what they're bringing to it. So it's it's giving it the shape and if you if you don't have any perspective on what the actors are doing then the play is not going to have any perspective if you don't shape it to that i think too as an actor you spent for me you spent a, a, however many years you've been alive <laughs> developing a worldview or how your perspective on things and i think i don't once you get along to a certain point there there are certain triggers that you have that other people don't have that bring you alive and help you share the story in a very specific way. You know, I, I think it, it's something that I certainly is 
it speaks to me, I mean, it was about being a director, but also as a playwright. I think that that idea of really bringing, exactly like you say, your own worldview to the table, that I think that, and I hate when people say things like this, but I'll say it anyway, but I, I think that's, that's what art is all about, really, is it's about the opportunity to go and see inside the head of the person who, who made it. You know, that's, that's what you go is, is to see other people's approach to the world and the things that are important to them and how they manifest themselves. And I think especially in theater, which is a collaborative discipline, that idea that the play is ultimately made out of the dance between the things that are important to the playwright and the way that they interact with what's important to the director and the way that that spills into and interacts with the things that are important to an actor. And I think that idea of allowing everybody to be there, everyone to have their own ideas about what's important and to watch them interact with each other instead of getting out of each other's way. Um, but that negotiation over how what I believe about something and what moves me about this play interacts with the thing that moves you about the play as an, as a, as a, as an actor and all of us responding to what moved the playwright about the world to make them write that thing, you know, it creates complexity and it creates something that any number of different, I think it creates actually an awful lot of inputs into the, into the play and allowing the, the audience to connect into whatever thing that either a director or, a, or an actor or another actor or the playwright has done that they recognize. And I think a lot of times that becomes a route into being able to see all of the other points of view. And I know something that is, is important to me, I realize is important to me as a director, and I, I think it came indirectly out of this idea that came from Gene, is I think it's important as a director to share with the actors what moves you about a play. You know, and, and especially early on, and not in terms of to dictate to them this is what the play's about, but I find if you're really willing to open yourself up and share and say, you know, the reason that this speaks to me is because of this thing that happened in my life and I know it makes it resonant for me there, I find that makes the actors much more willing to open up themselves and, you know, kind of put themselves at risk if you as a director are willing to do that. But you can't do that unless you're really willing to engage a, a play and find, again, what moves you about it. That's kind of like uh, one of the other things that's in the notebook about talking to the actors and hanging out with the actors early on. Speak to, hang out with actors early, get to know what they respond to in life, use it in rehearsal. So, you know, that seems to me... That applies across the board, but it would be especially useful for a director, not especially if you're new to the people, to find out what what's going to be effective. Because I mean, you time is usually limited, and it's always good to meet people where they are rather than to drag them to your way. Well, that's something actually that 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 Gene always used to say too, and I. I I think of a lot, which is that you've got to do the play with the actors you have, not the actors that you imagined you would have before you cast it. That, you know, you do go in, I mean, they say 80% of the director's job is casting. I don't think I totally believe that, but it is a big part of the job. But there is something that once you've got those people in the room, a big part of the director's job is about helping them to find what moves them about the play. Um, and, and I think additionally, in, in addition to sort of knowing what moves them so you can kind of tap on those things, I think it is really helpful, you know, to create just a relationship with people, to make them feel, especially if you want people to go to dangerous places, to make them feel like you're not just there, you know, to push their buttons and make them, you know, dance for you, you know, but that you are actually interested in them as people and what they have to bring to the process. Yeah. Because you're you're looking to collaborate, and and I, I look for those you know those those times of almost camaraderie with the director and the other actors, where you can kind of start understanding what makes each other tick, so you can understand what's what's important to each other. And you know, on, on the rare occasion, you know, I've been sort of almost mis-psychoanalyzed <laughs> by directors in, in their attempt to get me to understand something about the script or by by the character, and and usually that's just a result of just us not knowing each other well enough. Um, for them to know what, you know, my background or, you know, me not knowing their background or what's really important. And, and the reason I think spending that time getting to know each other is important is because I, I, I don't think anybody wants to be defined. 
because it, it tends to limit you. And I think once you get to know somebody, it, it allows, I don't want to be defined, I want to be invited. You know, I want to be invited to explore. I want to be encouraged to this, these given circumstances as, as uh, collaborators that we know about each other. I want to be invited and encouraged to explore those and, and know that that's, that's a, a, not a safe environment in which to do it, but it's, it's an environment in which we both know the territory. And I also think it's important to think about, you know, what it is that you're trying to get to know about them. Because uh, I, I, what I think is usually very dangerous ground and you don't want to step into is, oh, he told me this thing about this fight he had with his girlfriend and now I'm going to try to get oh, him to... Yeah, no, no, that's no. not what we're talking about. <laughs> you know, what we're talking about, though, is that there are things you, that once you talk to people about their life and about politics, you sort of see people generally have the same on-ramp to ideas. There's one or two or three things that really move them. If the idea of justice really moves them, if the idea of compassion really moves them, you know, you can tell what matters to them in the world. And then you can help them find that in the play, you know, because I think that's very often the way to help people, you know, find again what's important to them in the play. So it's helpful to talk to them if you find that, you know, that, that again, justice is something that's really important to them, that the need to be loved is something that's really important to them, to help them find that in the play. And additionally, if you have talked about their relationship with their girlfriend or their parents, it's usually not for you to bring up, but I find once you've had those conversations with people, they're more likely to bring it up because they feel like they're not treading on you, that they're not imposing on you to talk about the way that it reminds them of something that happened in their youth. Well, and then once you've shared that too, you know, as the best directors I've had uh, the pleasure to work with, you, you, they usually can just ask questions within the context of that. And I know what they're getting at and we don't need to, you know, and we don't need to talk explicitly about it. But I... Uh, Again, it goes back to that idea of inviting me to explore parts of myself which they either know are there or may believe may be there that would be in service of this play. And usually will ask questions that would encourage me to explore that thing that, that, that will help me move further in the play. Which brings me to something uh, else that, that uh, Jean said that we now have written for us, <laughs> uh, uh, which was ask actors, how does this character fill in the blank? How do they sit in a chair? How do they slice a sandwich? How do they fill in the blank? And when you, you pose the question in that fashion, and I can attest to this as an actor, it, it encourages the actor to make choices that will be specific uh, and unique to them and therefore usually will be, will be interesting choices. It's, it's, it's funny, when, when often when an actor is looking for those things, to tie them to a character, to, to, to bridge that gap and, and to really find that character. When they start trying to define the character, they usually wind up limiting themselves. My character would never do that or my character wouldn't do this. But when you, when the question is posed that way, it, it, there's an openness and an availability of, hey, how would you do this? How would this character do that? Rather than deciding whether the character would or would not do something, you explore the how. And the actor usually arrive at a pretty specific and interesting choice that way. I actually remember when this came up, um, when I took class with Jean, the same conversation, and I remember, <laughs> I remember thinking, what is this little detail, like whatever it is, what is this little detail going to help, what's it going to help? And it was actually about a, maybe that day or later that day, I realized something about myself that I do very specifically and the same all the time, and that was my way into understanding what he was talking about because it's a stupid thing but whenever I sit in a restaurant I have to be in the chair that faces the rest of the restaurant I don't know I noticed that later that day and I then it had me thinking about myself as a person like all these things because of this one little thing I do the same all the time and then so now every time I do a character I try to find that one little thing it's it's interesting because I it, is, it was really interesting actually looking back at this notebook ten years after the fact actually more than ten years after the fact at this point because I actually when I read that thing at first I thought oh that's interesting although I'm not quite sure how much that is really a part of my work which is fine you know <laughs> people you respect can say things that you are glad work for them and is not necessarily something that worked for you but then as I further thought about it I think there's that question of how do they sit in a chair, how do they slice a sandwich, 
is less something that I ask less often, but I do have this collection of 10 pages single typed character history questions about who was their best friend in fourth grade and in eighth grade and in twelfth grade and you know what is their uh, what is their email password like all of these questions that I give to actors who want them to use because I think that they're really interesting ways again that specificity of the things the way that people again that it's not about asking them what do they think about and making it an, you know making it a question about an idea but about the way that their ideas and the way that they think about things manifest in their life and i think that that really is something i think you know gene really was a was a, a strong advocate of in many ways including this one but that idea of really keeping the way you talk about characters active instead of conceptual you know that you never want to get into a place where you're talking about the characters the type of person who you know, but that they are a person who does do this and did do that and did do that but would never do it again or did do that and swore they would never do it again but did do it again under these circumstances. That there's something about putting it in, in terms of action and then letting your subconscious mind feel about it how it feels about it. And then you feel that way about it, and then it finds its way into the scene, rather than you trying to play the type of person who. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of actors, when they're introduced to this kind of idea, get a little overwhelmed. I remember not understanding it right away and getting overwhelmed and thinking, really, I'm going to create all these things and then bring that all to rehearsal, instead of realizing that it's, it's really just the beginning of an exploration of somebody and who, who does certain things or doesn't do certain things, and then you see how it affects the rehearsal process versus walking in the room and being highly aware that your email password is, you know, like, like right. it's not, and, it's and just I, the beginning of an exploration. And I think part of it too is something else that I, I remember that's sort of this cryptic thing that I jotted down. And, and again, the way I used to take notes is I'd write down thoughts, but sometimes I'd write things in quotes that were just literally someone said something that seemed interesting. And one of the quotes was just, quote, dot, 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 the little things we think about when we think about our disappointments. And I think that that's something that was really resonant for me and I think is related to what we're talking about because when you do all that work on how do they sit, how do they stand, where have they been, who did they know, what did they, you know, write to their best friend in their high school yearbook right before they graduated, it's not that you're going to use all of it but you're going to stumble upon something that makes the character's situation unavoidable for you. You're going to find that one image, you know, that one thing you did that just strikes you in, again, your specific constellation of your history and your emotional makeup and your intellectual makeup that just is going to make your, the things that your character confronts totally unavoidable to you. So that you don't have to work on all 500 things you thought about. But you're going to, by cataloging through 500 things about this character, a thousand things, 5,000 things about that character, you're going to find that one image that all you have to do is check in with that and you are there. Well, and, and the other aspect of that too is that, you know, and we talked in previous podcasts about you know, having that lake of information. And I it's funny, I was, I was watching um, one of the old uh, uh, Inside the Actors Studio episodes, and it was one of the actors who was, had worked with uh, Al Pacino, and, I, and I, I cannot remember the actor who was actually working with Pacino, but he was talking about how specific Pacino made a character to him, and had you know, clearly done all of his work and that we're talking about right now, that allows Pacino to have... You know, a, a strong mooring of that character, and I think what's important, what we're talking about, is a point of view that everything that happens to that character. That it has mm -hmm. a not only is it things that he he does and things he believes in, but he has a specific point of view about how he feels about the things that he does and that have happened in his life. And as a result of having all those things, and who knows when they'll come up in the play or in rehearsal or in filming, but the the other actor said something really interesting about Pacino. He said because he does all that work it's almost impossible to misserve him. You can't throw anything at him that makes him go, I'm out of the play or I'm out of the scene. Because all of that grounding is there that anything that just happens, regardless of what it is, he's grounded in the reality of that character, that it's, an, it's something he can experience as unique to that character. And therefore, it doesn't throw him out of the world. 
I also think that the more you do work like this, and uh, the more information, the more you let your imagination go, you start to stumble on what he thought was, Gene thought was really important, was to give every character a secret. And um, he said, everyone has something about themselves that they don't want anyone to know, but they get so used to hiding it that they hardly notice it anymore. But it still affects things that need not have anything to do with the text. I think that, and I've noticed it a lot lately. <laughs> I don't know why a lot lately, but I've noticed it a lot lately. On a lot of the theater I've gone to see, the level at which people take the text for granted, they assume everything the actor is saying is what is the truth. And there is nothing more fascinating than seeing someone on stage uh, thinking about something that they are not talking about, holding back on something. The line may say, Yes, I was there Sunday, <laughs> but don't you don't take for granted that that's the truth. I, there's and something actually I, I, I think we, we talked about on, a, on actually one of our very earliest podcasts that I enjoyed. is Someone said that I, I always look for the places where my characters are lying. And, and I think Jen Kerfman said, well, I actually go through to see if I can find the places where they're telling the truth. Which I, I, I think is great. And I, and I do think is, is really true that not necessarily that everyone is always lying but that people are, are usually shaping the way that they are saying things to get at the thing that they actually want, to try to get at it in a way that the other person can understand or the other person, you know, finds safe enough to wade into whatever. But the result is when you really give yourself over to that, those two or three or four or five times in the course of the play where you have decided what my character is saying is what they actually mean and in only that, yeah. what they mean, those moments become so resonant, just the simple truth of it. Well, I think that's why, and he, what he always said, and I think that is what is so important about doing all this work, is Gene always said that the words come last. And um, I think it's because of, of exactly that. You find you have to find the, the, the um, circumstance, <laughs> the reality of the character, and it's at the end of the day, the words become the tools for you to get what you want. So this sort of ticking for granted of the words being exactly what you're feeling doesn't, just doesn't ring true with me. And piggybacking off of that, um, something that I find really interesting is when you find a secret or find something that you share with the other character in the scene. So maybe a line is you're quoting something that they've said before, or there's you know some common secret that you share in common. It gives history there yeah. without having a whole conversation about the history. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that actually can sometimes be very interesting if there's a scene with more than two people in it. That mm -hmm. if there is a secret that two of them share that the third one doesn't know. And I also do think it's, it's, it's helpful when you're talking about that secret that it's, it's definitely a secret one character has from another, but I think it's also useful as much as possible if it's a secret that one actor has from another too. Mm. Um, and, I, and I think it can be very useful a lot depending on who the director is but I mean if it's a director that you trust to let the director know what your secret is because they can sometimes throw you some interesting curveballs that you know that bring that secret in, into play um, but, but again it's, it's really useful because actually something else that Gene said that I'd forgotten him saying but I found it in the uh, in the notebook and I, I just kind of loved it he said he compared uh, he compared uh, the work you do with another actor is that you are looking for the combination to another character's safe. Say something and then listen for the click. And I just think that's such a great image about the idea of, you know, not trying to do the scene in a vacuum. You're doing the scene with the other person, what they're bringing, and I think it's... it's it, 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 it never made a lot of sense to me, frankly, even before I studied with Gene, when you'd be in a rehearsal process and you'd sit people down and the director would say, okay, this time you think about this and you think about this and go, and you're spending the whole time not thinking about what you're thinking about, but thinking about what you know the other character is thinking about. But, you know, so much of what actually happens in life is that you're up there and you're you're in life, you're dealing with someone, you're trying to get what you want from them, and you're trying to figure out what it is that they want so you can figure out a way to reconcile those two things so that they will come to believe that they want what you want, or at least that what you want will get them what they want. And, um, you know, and that idea of really being able to be in a scene with someone who you know is doing something and you don't know what it is. And to be very honest with you, there have been times that I have and perhaps I shouldn't share this for people who might work with me, but there have been times where I've said to one actor, you know what, 
I, I just want to give you something. Carrie, come with me in the other room. And then just say, hey, Carrie, I don't have anything to tell you. You do what you want to do and go back in. It is amazing what that has sometimes done to the other person's performance because they're there really thinking attention. you are going to do something. I don't know what it's going to be, but I need to pay attention. And it's amazing when someone, again, is doing that thing where you are doing something to someone and then really watching to see what they're going to do in response that just makes you so alive. And I love that image of, 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 of trying to find the combination to the other characters safe. I like that image too, and and it it actually ties into another note from the <laughs> the Gene Bible, uh, uh, in which he said, "Be aware of when actors are not responding truthfully because they are being polite to the other actor." And I think very recently in my work, I've become very attuned to that because uh, uh, just one of the things I've been exploring in my work very very recently is is dealing with the the very literal reality of the relationship between actors and between characters. Because if, if you're really looking for that combination for the safe, then you have to figure out what's really happening between, between the actors and therefore the characters. And if you're not doing that, you're serving an idea of the play, you're serving an idea of what you think the play is supposed to be about, and so you're scared of the guy when the guy isn't really doing anything scary, and <laughs> you're pretending to be scared, or you feel kind of obligated to be scared, or you know, you you make some sort of loving gesture to the girl that means something lovey, and and <laughs> and, and therefore she'll respond in some sort of loving way back, and it leads to a lot of really false behavior because you're not you're not responding truthfully because you're not really looking for that click you're 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 serving you're serving the idea of the text and you know I, I think it's a really challenging and scary thing to really hold each other accountable and say you know i'm I'm not going to give this thing to you that you want until you actually really earn it from me and I think that's I used to always think when, when people would talk about you know actors are so brave I was like I don't understand what that is in the context of being a, you know, in Afghanistan or a firefighter or, a, you know, some other actual, you know, literal brave activity. But I, I get it in the sense of to really earn something from another actor who's demanding that, and not even necessarily demanding, but saying, as the, as the actor, I'm not giving you this thing as the character until you've really earned it from me. Because that's a real moment. And therefore, then we're really telling a story. That's a really scary thing. And I think especially with the way characters are written, where often it's very primal forces running into each other, to have that obligation to be one of those primal forces and say, I'll give you this thing when you've earned it, to know you actually really have to earn it. When you think about the characters you have to play and what their circumstances are, to know you have to go earn that, that's a big job. It's like you're not going to... You're not gonna. I'm not gonna change the way I feel about you just because it's time for the script, where the script says I'm right. changing the way I feel about yeah. you. If I still feel the same way about you, I'm gonna keep going with yeah. that and and not be polite because it's time in the scene where we are change our yeah. minds about yeah. each other. Yeah. It also keeps the it, there's a world going on beyond the words. Mm-hmm. Back mm-hmm. to what we were saying before, and I think that world is, and that, like we said before about thinking things you're not saying, is what keeps you one step ahead of the audience, mm-hmm. because they're constantly trying to follow something that mm-hmm. they can't, they don't have time to get ahead of you. Mm-hmm. And that's another note uh, <laughs> that he said: stay ahead of the audience. They should not understand everything all the time. I think that's. Absolutely true. That if you only, it's what you said before also about saying exactly, saying the lines as if they are all true. That that (laughs) is just not as interesting to watch as things that have more than one thing going on at a time, you know? And that was something that was so interesting because one of the other things that Gene was a big proponent of, and it really is the dance between these two ideas that I think for me has come to define my work as both a writer and a director, is that idea that the audience shouldn't respond, shouldn't understand everything all the time. And that the ultimate and central job of both a director and a playwright is clarity. And that idea of how those two things interact with each other, that ultimately the audience needs to understand what happened. And you need to give them the tools to understand what happened. But I think a really engaging production is about is engaging because it engages the audience. It makes them an active participant in the process that they are given clues, all of the clues they need to understand what's going on. 
but they are not actually told what is going on. And, you know, it's something that actually I, I know it's, it, it has really become one of the central characteristics of my work as a writer, actually, is that idea that, that the audience, to make the audience believe that they understand what is going on and to realize in retrospect that they did not actually understand what was going on. And, and, and again, that I love this, that idea, which we've talked about before, about implicating the audience, that, that let them believe they think was no, what's going on, then make them discover they didn't, and make them look a little bit hard at themselves about why was it that they made that assumption that that's the thing that was going on. Well, what you're talking about leads to, a, a, I think, a, a new truth for me that I've, I've arrived at, which is that drama, whatever, however you want to, define that new plays or storytelling is about revelation and in terms of Gene's note about staying ahead of the audience that they not understand anything all the time if there is no revelation if they are ahead of you all the time and they figured out there can be no revelation and therefore the, the the purpose of the story actually ceases to exist whereas if you can keep them engaged and I, I like your term realizing you know that they they're realizing things and discovering things it does become this revelation and therefore has has a purpose in, in being shown to an audience. Uh, there's another note that's that's about the audience. Uh, make the audience work, don't make it easy for them. And and that ties into the same thing where, you know, you don't want to spoon feed the truth of the story to them. You want them you want them to be looking for the answer, to be, you know, mentally trying to figure out what's happening instead of just accepting everything that's coming to them. Because that that makes the best. And it's really interesting, again, that Gene was the one who, you know, other people I'm sure talk about that too, but he was the first one who really talked about that to me, and it sort of evolved in a lot of ways for me. But it's so interesting, given how, how important it was to him, the idea of to talk in active language and about things. That idea that the actor should be up there doing something. The director should be saying something specific. But also to create an experience where the audience is actively doing something too. The idea that all of the people in the room are there to engage in and take part in the activity of making this play happen tonight. Mm -hmm. You know, and that idea of, and I, you know, I've certainly seen shows where it's fascinating to watch the audience where it's like somebody realizes something and you have two people who are watching two different shows because one of them have connected dots that the other one hasn't. But, you know, it, it creates a real challenge to work in that sort of a way because it does mean a lot of times you're doing a play that needs to make sense to the person who is watching play A and the person who's realized already that it's actually play B. But ultimately though I think that comes down to you know being truthful and being honest and being willing to be messy. Life is messy. You know that idea which you were saying before about just because it seems to be the moment in the script where the characters turn to at least give it a chance in rehearsal to, if you're not feeling like turning there, if you're not feeling like forgiving them there, to see what happens if you haven't. And that's actually something else that, that uh, Gene used to say and, and, and is in the notebook too, that, that idea that you rehearse not to polish a performance but to see what happens to you. Well, actually, it's interesting because I, I took acting classes with him, too, and he had two different versions of it. One was for actors, which was you rehearsed not to polish performance but to see what happens to you. And the other was to directors, which is that you rehearsed not to polish a performance but to see what happens to them, I guess, is the end of that sentence. Yes. But that idea that, you know, that, that, again, you've cast these people and what's going to be fascinating about a given production why it's interesting to do a play that's been done before with another group of people is the play is going to be different because of the way that this group of people engages something. And there can be something that's really fascinating about, um, you know, when this revelation comes, one actor might have the response that he does not want to get anywhere near that person and they gravitate and they're up against the wall and don't want and the other person might in their way of working might need to need, feel the need to hold on to them to try to fix it both of those are absolutely valid choices although each one is going to feel like a much more valid choice in the body of one specific actor versus another and since what you're striving for is truth as a director what you're best off is to really give people things to work with give people things to explore and see how this play 
plays out most compellingly. It's so interesting, actually, that a word that keeps showing up in my notes from that class is the word interesting. It's interesting when, it's interesting when, and that that's really what you're looking for. You're looking to, cre to, 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 to create an experience that is worth watching because it is interesting rather than being good. Quote unquote. What is that anyway? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Well, I, I love the idea of, of, of rehearsing to see what happens because it's an exploration of, of what is truthful, which I think is always interesting. And therefore, you know, in a rehearsal process, you know, if something is happening to you, to explore what is happening to you and, and giving yourself over to that to find out the truth about what that moment is can lead to then, I think, a truthful performance. You, it's just a matter of selecting which truths from from rehearsal are worth bringing back to the actual final performance. And, and, and I would submit that when you see a performance that you're, you're not believing, it's usually the result of the actor, not the character, but the actor pretending to believe that something isn't happening that is. I think the most obvious example of that is, is like physical tension in the body and, and things like that. But, but when you see a performance that for some reason just doesn't seem to be landing right, it's usually because there's something going, and this goes to a lot of the things we're talking about. It's, there's, something going on that's a truth for the reality of that moment of literally what's happening on that stage, on that theater right now that somebody isn't dealing with. Which I think goes back to the thing about uh, not being polite to the actor and, and not... Uh, or polite to the... And that this ties also to the, um, what we were saying earlier about uh, taking for granted that the lines are the truth. It, it, when you're being polite to the script. Mm -hmm. That you, a good example, the same thing you were just saying, I think you see it happen all the time, is when the expectation is, oh, I need to cry here. Right. And you're not, that's not the reality of what is happening to you, just flat out. It's not, so pretending it's happening is not <laughs> the truth of that moment, mm -hmm. even no matter what you're saying. So I, I think you have to be brave enough, I guess, to... Acknowledge what's really going on. Yeah. And to take the chance of getting it wrong. Because I think that's when you find what's really right, the way that, that it's right on you, is the place where you do something that is not what's expected, where you do the thing that, where you, again, you have that impulse to do something and you do it. And, and, and there's something that's incredibly freeing and important because there certainly are times because you do, as engaged as you are in a scene, there usually is this little voice in the back of your head that knows what's going on. And sometimes there's that choice where you're like, how and it actually you know what I was actually rehearsing something today with this where where I had an impulse to do something and I had the thought well what but how will I get to this other thing if I do that and then I thought well what the hell it's a rehearsal if we have to stop because we can't figure it out we'll we'll do it and so I followed that impulse but then actually the way that I found around to get to the next thing I need to get to is actually something I think I will end up using in ultimately it was actually such an interesting way to get to the next thing that I need to get to. That if I hadn't painted myself into that corner, I wouldn't have had to find that way to sort of shimmy across the pipe on the ceiling to get to the next place I had to go. <laughs> but again, that's, that's one of the things that, that I think is implicit in a lot of these things we're talking about, is it's so interesting to watch people do surprising things, to watch people do unexpected things. That if people are up there doing the thing that you expect they're going to do next, then you could just, again, you could just read the script. You could just read the script and imagine it in your head. But it's that idea when somebody does something that you wonder, what was that? <laughs> and then you learn what it was by keeping watching them. That's really special. I, I think that there's also something that we're here in our, our space uh, on 36th Street. And, uh, you know, we have two things that we've put up on the wall here. One of them is the name of our company. But the other uh, is a quote just to remind us all, what are you working on? And that idea that really has become a central tenet to us as a company is this idea of goal-oriented rehearsing, to pick something to work on and find out how it affects the scene. And there's two things that Gene said and said often are in the notebook that I think speaks to that. And I think, again, you know, the value of, of this wonderful teacher and wonderful person, but these things that he taught us, and then sort of over the years has evolved into our own understanding of what they mean. But uh, two things that he wrote, or that he said, that uh, then we wrote, was, um, when you're working on ambivalence, take at least one rehearsal where you give completely over to each side of the things that are tearing you apart. And also, he said, Lewis and Clark... Uh, although sometimes he said Christopher Columbus, and there's reasons I like Columbus in this metaphor. But uh, Christopher Columbus was an explorer, but he knew what he was looking for. 
And that idea that, that the way he further explained that metaphor sometimes was the idea that Christopher Columbus wasn't looking for the new world. He was looking for India. But if he hadn't gotten in a boat to find India, he never would have found the new world. He just would have been floating off the coast of Portugal. Um, you know, and it's, it's that idea of picking something that you want to explore, something that you want to find out about, and not only working on it in the places that you think it will make sense, that you expect it will make sense in the scene. Because it's those places where you never thought that, you know, ambivalence, am I on Bill's side or am I on Fred's side, you know, that it's really easy to go through the script and say, oh, well, this thing seems like it's on Bill's side, this thing's on Fred's side, and, or even worse, I'm just going to stand here and kind of look confused because I don't know whose side I'm on. But really, to give over one rehearsal to being on Fred's side and one rehearsal to being on Bill's side, the places that you find mm -hmm. that something that sounds like it's on Fred's side actually is kind of an argument for Bill, mm -hmm. is can be such a fascinating and wonderful thing to find out that you would never find out if you just showed up to practice what you think the play is supposed to be. And if you, if you explore, which is a really dangerous word you know, with, with the training I've had because it, I think <laughs> it really lets people off, off the hook. And when you're exploring, to explore specifically, and by that I mean the specific action of how relationships work, which I think leads to really interesting behavior which for an actor then reveals these general ideas or, or you know even even I guess even the ideas could be specific in the sense that if you if you have a spouse say in the play and you know you're trapped in a bad marriage with them and, and, and you love them but you hate them well those are ideas and uh, if you have a re rehearsal even where you explore that relationship uh, and I'll use that that verb in air quotes <laughs> you know I don't know if you'd, if you'd learn much more than, oh, well, you're trapped in a marriage and you love them and hate them. And, well, you'd still get that from reading the play. But if you explore specifically that relationship with that person, how you feel when you're close to them, how you, you know, when they're in the same room, the sound of their voice, you know, when you touch them, when they touch you, that, those will all lead to really specific behaviors that will then tell that story in a way which just reading the play wouldn't. Yeah, and, and I think that that's, that it's also something that's helpful that to say, you know, because a, a rehearsal is actually sort of an odd, an odd word because some people mean that day, some people mean that run through. So, mm -hmm. But I think that that idea of, that it can be help, really helpful to say this rehearsal day I am going to explore my relationship with this person. Mm -hmm. But this rehearsal run through I'm going to work on how much I love them. And preferably, you're not just going to work on how much I love them, but it's going to be, I'm going to do some work about it's our, I had a big plan for our wedding anniversary. Right. And I've, I've made all of these reservations and it's tomorrow and we're having this fight and I know I have this special day planned for tomorrow. Right. So how is that going to, um, how does you that You end up finding out really quick why, because it, you know, this is something you've created and so it's you know, 95% not in the text. <laughs> so you end up finding out, I find, I love doing things like that because you find out pretty quickly why you didn't say it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Why did I not tell them this? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I, I actually, it's something we actually talked about before, but I, I, I just want to underline it for a second because it's almost an afterthought to the idea of every character having a secret. But something that Jean said, and I feel like it was the first time I ever heard anyone say it, was the idea that the thing you're working on doesn't have to have anything to do with the text. And that that really has just become such a central part of the way that I work and the way that I think we work here is this idea about that lake of information that you talked about, Tim, that, you know, and, and I think we've talked about in the past that how many, you know, most plays are two hours long and most people have lived for hundreds of thousands of hours and that idea that you can create for yourself a world in which, and it actually was something that I, I remember it was something that, that Susan Aston, who was another teacher of ours, was the first person who's, 
who who said it that and other people have said it, but was the first person who said it that I heard it was the idea that the question isn't what would you do in the situation, but what would the situation have to be for you to do what your character does. But it was really not until Gene flat out said, you can work on something that isn't anywhere in the text. Because I actually, even when Susan said that, I found myself sort of backtracking and saying, oh, this fact, I'll make this fact that's in the text more important and that's what it will mean. <laughs> but that idea that you know, there's all sorts of things that are real for people that they never bring up. That idea that there are secrets that really govern your life that frankly, you're so used to covering you don't even think about it anymore. And yet it totally governs the way that you deal with people. It, it you know, the, the red flags that are thrown up when someone starts bringing a conversation one way that makes you want to steer it another. You know, that can, that really define the way people deal with each other and the way people live with themselves and the way that I think a lot of times performances can feel like you're up there. It's interesting because a lot of actors talk about well, the reason they like acting is because it gives them a chance to be somebody else, which is interesting. I've heard a lot of actors say that. I'm, I'm not sure that that's what attracts me to acting. But there is that thing about it's still important that your character be who your character is, even if they're not you, although I think you need to bring a lot of yourself to it. You know, but... but that idea that it, the character can't be up there doing exactly what the play demands of them. They have to be up there demanding, doing what their life experience demands that they do. What you just said, which excites me as an actor, uh, leads to something else that Gene said, which is that uh, directors should communicate to their actors uh, in terms of urgent circumstances versus an emotional state. In other words, you, you would say, you know, Juliet is desperate to get away from her family rather than Juliet is scared or Juliet is sad. I, and I think the reason you want to communicate that way to your actors is for the obvious reason that it, it, it allows your actors to find actions to do, to find things to do that will energize them forward rather than states of emotion in which they can fall back on. Yeah, it is not interesting to watch someone sit there and be sad. It is interesting to watch somebody do something to make the sadness end. You do need to find the sadness in order to try to make it end. But again, it's that, re it's that idea of finding why are they sad? You know, what does that mean? And again, doing that work on the history, on everything else, not to find, okay, what can I do to feel sad? But what about this character's life makes me sad? And not about even about what about this character's life makes them sad, but what about this character's life makes me sad? Because that's then what about the character as played with you makes them sad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Which is why people show up. Because mm -hmm. they want to see you in that role. It's why it's worth, you know, it's why when you say, oh, did you see, uh, you know, Bernadette Peters is now in A Little Night Music. I want to go back and see it because I want to see what Bernadette Peters is doing in this role. It doesn't, it doesn't make what Catherine Zeta-Jones did any less valid. Just different. Just different. Because everyone has a different filter through which they experience things. And a big part of what we do is we show up to watch people as they encounter the play through whatever filter they bring. Mm -hmm. One other thing that Gene said that I think we've sort of hit on but I think is, is important is that idea of making this, that the harder that you make a scene on a character, the easier it is for an actor. And when he first said that, I know I wrote it down because it sounded important, but I didn't know what he meant. And certainly over time I've discovered what he meant. But how does that live in your work as actors? You have to invent less on your own. You're not quite as alone up there trying to create circumstances where you're your own obstacle and your own objective. If you can create circumstances for the, the character and arrive at circumstances for the character through some of these other things that we've been talking about, they can sort of start living in the character and they become, can become realities for the actor so that they, you don't have to push to invent a circumstance to react to, that circumstance just becomes a reality for you mm -hmm. that you can have an organic, natural reaction to and attempt to overcome in an organic way. It's just less artifice to create. 
And, and I think it's something that, that Gene also talked a lot about, getting actors out of their own way. And there's sort of this whole slate of exercises that, that he gave the, you know, do the scene, do a, as like a monologue, especially as loud as you can or as fast as you can, which sounds simple and obvious, but what they're designed to do is to get you out of your way. You're mm -hmm. so busy going as fast as you can, you can't do anything except for the things that just happen on their own. I, we actually talked about that in the, on the last episode about getting out of your own way. But I think that the, that that figures in here, that sort of that idea of if you know I have this complication with this character and this complication with this character, I need to get back to this place before they realize that I'm gone. I know that I can't say these three things because this person will then go and tell that other person. All you have to do is something. You know, all you have to do is get in there and try to do that one thing that you've decided is important in the scene, but within the context of all these landmines that you have around you. But then you don't have to, you have to respond against those things rather than do those things. When you can set those up as, as, either, as either for the character or for the actor, I actually remember being in Gene's scene study class once, and I don't remember the specific scene we were working on, although I, I remember it was Shakespeare, but I was working with uh, a lovely actress named Cecilia Thompson, and we both had, at this time in our training, as actors, two very habitual actions. That is, actors we would go to, which was, I would become violent, I would usually throw things or punch things, and she would cry. Um, <laughs> which made the two, two of us getting on stage together just... I want to see that scene. You knew it was going to happen five seconds into that scene. Was I was going to throw something and she would start crying. And we, we did this scene once and it, it was fine for whatever fine is. And, but as the actors, Gene took those two things away from us and said, he didn't kill our impulses. He didn't say, don't have the impulse. But he said, no matter what, you're not allowed to physically explode anywhere. And she, he told her, whatever you do, it's important for you not to cry. Hold yourself together. And to have as actors those two limit, those two obstacles for ourselves, mm -hmm. the behavior that created and the relationship mm -hmm. that came out of that and the story that was told, because I, I remember specifically there was a moment we were up against, uh, I had, had her up against the wall and she said something and I literally brought my hand back and knew I couldn't do what I wanted to do. And the repression of that impulse of having that impulse and then needing to repress it and her living in that with me created just a very, very specific relationship to us that A, was unique to us in telling that story and it, didn't, it, it made the scene difficult for us as both characters and actors, mm -hmm. which I, I hope, at least Gene found it much more interesting. Yeah. And there's that idea of your impulses and it's, it's something that I, I think sort of the, you know, people say you gotta follow your impulses, which in many, many ways I agree with, but I think more accurately, and I think that's why you want to give yourself rehearsals where you do really just give over to your impulses and, and see what happens. But I also think so much of life is about having impulses that you redirect, that you do something else instead. And I mean, I think that that idea of knowing this is a person who has said, and you can find a reason, this is a person who said, if you ever raise your hand to me, I will leave and I will never come back. I left someone for that before. And if you believe that threat, you can have that impulse. It's fantastic to have that impulse, but then to have to know, I cannot do that. I cannot do that. I have to find something else to do with this impulse, which is different than saying, I need to not have this impulse. Mm -hmm. Yes, mm -hmm. yes. Because it happens all the time in life that somebody does something and you're like, I want to run this person over with a car or I want to grab this person and kiss them or I want to give them a wedgie or I want to go and tell this person that they said this about them. You know, you can have all of these, uh, you know, whatever your impulses are, but you don't do them for your various reasons, but you do something else instead. Well, it leads to several, of the, it, it just leads to some of the things we're talking about and have talked about today, which is it gives you perspective and a point of view and it gives, the, gives you the thing that I think is the most dangerous thing to miss when, when, when you're working uh, as an actor, which is consequences, which is if I do this, what happens? If I don't do this, what happens? And that leads to just so many of the things we've been talking about today, about the things that go unsaid, the, thing, the choices you don't make, the secrets you have, the ambivalence, you know, seeing what happens to you. It just sort of it energizes you to allow all of those things to, to happen. Um, 
And one other note uh, that I, I want to talk about before we wrap up, I mean, Gene said a lot of really wise things. I think we're just kind of hitting on some of the highlights of them. But one of the things that seems like a really small, simple thing, but actually, for me at least, has really snowballed into one of the real cornerstones of my approach uh, as a writer and a director and an actor is the idea that generally don't let a character walk into a scene anticipating failure. And I think a big part of that is about making active choices, that idea that if you're coming in thinking there's nothing I can do here, what you're going to do is nothing. Um, but there's something, because my undergraduate training was actually in political science and not in theater, and it sort of has married for me into something that was part of my uh, political science training, which is the idea of efficacy. Um, and that idea of giving, you know, voter efficacy and, you know, is a big part of uh, Schumpeter and other people's uh, work. But it's something that that idea of giving a character a sense of efficacy, that there is something they can do, that they are capable. And I think it's something that has really fed into probably the central artistic tenant of the company, I think evolved from this very simple idea, which is the idea about that we want to approach all plays as struggles between people who are desperately trying to do what they believe to be right. And that idea that, that if a character is going to lose in a scene, I want to see them beat. I want to see them defeated. I want to see and see them coming in armed to the teeth and fighting for their life for something that they desperately believe in. But maybe the circumstances are too big for them to beat. Maybe the other character ends up winning against them. But it's not because a person is weak. Um, and that idea that it's something that I know I want to do plays about smart and able people. Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in doing plays about people who are stupid and that's why they lose. And that idea that I, I know, I, it's something that this idea has given me permission to do in my work. I think every single play that I have done is about smart and able people. It ties back into the making it difficult, I think, for the actor because make it difficult, but you have to believe you can do it. You have to believe you can do the thing, no matter how difficult. The thing, it's a stupid example I use in my head, there's a huge difference between me walking into this room and thinking there's a 5,000 pound stone in here that I'm supposed to lift. It's, it's never going to happen, so I'm not even going to bother trying to do it. That being said, if it's a 150 pound stone, it's a really good shot, I'm not going to be able to do it. But I might be able to do it, I think I can. It's still going to be really hard, but, that, but there's a reason for me then to come in the room. But the, and there's also two, two different ways of looking at it. That it's sort of the question of, is there a 5,000-pound stone, which you know you can't lift, so you make it a 150-pound stone. Mm -hmm. There's also the, the way of thinking it's a 5,000-pound stone, but you've come in with tools. Yeah, well, You've I, come I in with tools that you know have helped <laughs> you lift a 3,000-pound stone before, <laughs> and you're going to believe, give it the old yeah, college try in here today. You need to today. believe you can do Whatever it is, you yeah. need to believe you can do it. The way that that specifically affected my work is... You know, and we, we've done podcasts before, and like sensory work, which is a big part of my work, and things like that. And there's a there's a temptation, I think, specifically for actors because of you know what plays are about to go to these really dark, dreary, terrible <laughs> moments and, and sensory experiences. And you know, we go to really rough places a lot. And what helped me in in terms of of that specific note about don't come to fail is I was, we, we actually were rehearsing Jen's play, Mikey Wears Braces, which in which my character is supposed to be going on stage with his band to perform in basically the biggest show of his life. And he winds up locked in the alley uh, with a girl and he desperately needs to get back in, inside. And so I worked almost for the entire existence of, 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 my, of my knowledge of the existence of that play on the, the desperation of that and what it would mean if I failed and what my life would be like with, without this and you know all of the negatives of not getting inside. And I one day, I think I was just sick of feeling that way and what I worked on in preparation for that day's rehearsal was the exhilaration of getting on stage and of what it would feel like when that door opened up and getting on that stage and playing in front of those people. And A, how much more that seemed to feed me and energize me throughout the play. And then when I didn't get inside, not to give away the ending of the play, <laughs> which actually I didn't, um, although maybe just have. But, but to when I hit those obstacles, those very real obstacles, 
again, in terms of consequences, my hopes and dreams and that great feeling I was looking for to collide against the obstacle and that, that moment of failure, of not getting it, what that did to me. Again, to go back about making it difficult on the, on the character so it's not difficult for the actor, that was a flood of stuff for me that came from, from preparing myself that something that was actually pleasurable and an idea to come in and win as opposed to prepping to lose. <laughs> <laughs> One other thing, I think, before we, we wrap up, uh, just a little note, but I, I just kind of love it because it says so much about Gene. Uh, he said one day, almost apropos of nothing, um, that at the end of a show, a slow two to three second dim, then snapping out the lights is usually the best way to end the show. You're not going to convince someone to like your show with your last light cue. <laughs> and he further went on to, to say that, that, that usually people do it to make people feel something in case the rest of the show hasn't done it. <laughs> but there is just something about the pragmatism of that that I, I, I really is one of the most important things that I, I learned from Gene is that idea that, you know, as much as we are all trying to do art, and we are, that, you know, you go and you do your work and you put it out there and people are going to take from it what they're going to take from it. What I love about that is... Gene's interested in truth, and he's not gonna, he's not interested in bullshit, and he's not gonna try to bullshit you. <laughs> but, and I, and I think it also speaks to sort of the, the kind of storytelling we're talking about, and I know I strive for, and I know you guys, which is it's about what you get out of the experience. It's not about one specific moment, but it's about, you know, all of these complicated things you've watched happen next to each other and evolve and happen, and what you walk, with, walk away with at the end, that frankly shouldn't be able to be summed up in a light cue. The goal of your work, I think, ought to be that not that people walk out and say, oh, I am convinced of the point of view of this play, but walk out and say, this play explored a really interesting thing and showed me a lot of things about this idea it was exploring. And that idea of, again, the director and the actors and the playwright all coming with their point of views towards it. And, you know, my great hope for anything that I direct, I feel like, is not that, you know, someone's going to write me a letter afterwards and say you changed my life and changed my mind but that they're going to go out to dinner for you know with the three people that they went to the show with and they are going to talk about it for hours um, because all of the people involved with it have brought so much to the table that they've given people something to talk about that can't be summed up in a light cue or in one sentence before we wrap up since this was about Gene and about the notes from his class and really came out of a celebration of his influence that we had earlier this week, do you guys have any thoughts about the importance of good teachers? There's a natural instinct to let yourself off the hook. You think you know what you know. And what I love about Gene, about you know, finding a teacher like Gene, is that you know, even as I grow you know, more experienced, you need to be challenged, you know, especially when it's so funny to go back to the, you know, the notebook of all these things that Gene said, and there are things sometimes that I haven't heard for years, but to be reminded of, of what you think you already know, to relive it and revisit it and repractice it is just essential. Well, I'm going to, something he said that I think is what makes him a good teacher or is, um, that you, when you're in a room with a good teacher, you don't, you shouldn't. I don't think you should just feel that. You shouldn't just feel that you can try things and can make mistakes, but you feel entitled to. Like that's the atmosphere you're in. Related to what you said, Tim, I think the, the thing that I was really ultimately struck by when I went back to look at the notebook, because again, I, I just stumbled on it. I didn't even. I knew I had it someplace, but I happened to come upon it. But the number of things that were in that notebook that. I just thought were things that I thought. And not necessarily that I thought I thought them up, but that it was like these were just things that I, I hold to be true. And yet there was someone who was the first person to say it and was when they said it, it was new enough and felt important enough that it was worth writing down. But the other thing I think that, that was part of my experience of it is that, and I think a lot of what we're talking about today, is a lot of these ideas that he said form the basis for the things that I've come to think. 
you know, that idea that they've evolved. I have my own way of thinking about them now. Some of them are more important to me than others. They dance with each other in different ways than perhaps they danced with Jean. But you do need someone. You need someone who has had their own life experience and come to their own beliefs about how things work to share them with you so that you have something to dialogue with. That you're not, it's, you know what it is? A good teacher is in a lot of ways like a good scene partner. They're there to challenge you. They're there to give you something to respond against. Some things you accept, some things you reject, a lot of things you adapt. But if you were just out there on your own, there's a lot of things that wouldn't have happened for you in your head if you didn't have this person with this life experience sharing where they've come out on things. You know, and I, I think, you know, Jean was a wonderful teacher to all of us and uh, continues to be a wonderful teacher to people. And uh, it's, it's, it's almost everything that I do in some way is in dialogue with things that he talked about, even when I don't realize that. So I think that's a good place to wrap up. Before Kit wraps up, we want to let you know that if you're interested in seeing Cry Havoc's tribute to Gene Lasko from our recent Cornerstone event, you can do so at cryhavoccompany.org slash cornerstone slash Gene Lasko video where you can see a video of Kit, Carrie, and Jenny talking about Gene and the impact that he has had on their work. If you would like to support Cry Havoc's continued work, one great way to do so is to contribute to the Cornerstone Fund in Gene's honor, which you can also do at that website. The Cornerstone Fund supports the new programs Cry Havoc will undertake in the coming year. This year, that includes a significantly expanded internship program, free workshops for early career artists, as well as outreach to colleges and universities to provide for performance royalty-free, complex, compelling, and dynamic plays from Cry Havoc's library, exclusively featuring characters in their late teens and early 20s. Now, back to the wrap-up. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you would like to learn more about the Cry Havoc Company, please visit www.cryhavoccompany.org. If you like what you hear and have not yet subscribed to the podcast, you can do so at iTunes. Also, please write us a review and give us stars. If you have subscribed and you want to let other people know that we're out here, please do and let them know we're available at iTunes. If you have any thoughts, questions, or comments about the podcast, please email us at podcast at cryhavoccompany.org. So for myself... Tim, Kerry, Jenny, Jen, and everyone at the Cry Have a Company. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you soon. You can learn more about the Cry Have a Company at cryhaveacompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhaveacompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.